All right, let's kick it. Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friends. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic and sober coach. My addiction has shaped the person I am today and given me the ability and voice to help others, and I simply wouldn't be here without it. Recovery is possible. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we talk to other recovering alcoholics and addicts. We hear their stories and hope to help others who may still be struggling. Head on over to the sobrietydiaries.com where you can apply to be a guest on the show and join our insiders list for early release episodes, exclusive content, and much more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Happy Sober Day, friends. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and spending time with me here on the Sobriety Diaries. The support is is truly, truly appreciated. It does not go unnoticed, and it really keeps me going every day. So one of my goals is, is really to create this community around recovery, and you are part of that. So thank you for helping us to share the stories of, of those who come on the show. It's, it's really something special, and I'm so glad that you are a part of it. We have just an amazing story to tell today. We are talking to Naya Thompson, who decided really that alcohol was limiting her potential and ruining certain aspects of her life, um, her career, uh, long-term friendships, and really so much more. And I was truly surprised and shocked when during her story she revealed that she was in the theater in Aurora, Colorado during the uh, shooting, during the Batman movie. And it's certainly something that we focus on and trauma in adulthood and how moving on into recovery and fitness uh, playing such a huge part uh, in her journey today. So it is such a powerful story. It will be in two parts because we just talked for so long and there is such good stuff in her story that I wanted to lend enough time to incredible journey that she's been on. So let's open the diary on part one with Naya. Naya Thompson, thank you so much for joining us on the Sobriety Diaries. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I have to mention the Sunday. Um, <laughs> we are recording early on a Sunday morning, and we had to rearrange our setup because I, th- I thought it was beautiful. The sun was just beating down on you, and I thought it was so appropriate that I wanted to mention it. But <laughs> thank you. Yeah, like a line right. Right. Here. Yeah. There, there was a bit of uh, distraction, but I think we're yes. good now. Think we're good. Thank you so much for having me. By the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's been kind of a long time coming. So it's yes. like there was kind of some build up to it, right? There was. <laughs> My nerves were like you got this. And yeah. actually you're a little nervous. <laughs> I think sometimes that little like butterfly can be a little motivation, I think for me right. at least. So I know you've heard a couple episodes listening to those or sort of following what inspired you to want to share your story. 
the episode with your friend Britt, actually. Yeah. That was the one that resonated with me the most. Um, just her transparency and her being able to be that vulnerable, like even brought me to tears. And it's like, we're all on this sober journey, but everyone's looks a little bit different. But I think that since we are all on the same journey, we can help each other get through one, like another day based on sharing our story. So yeah, excited to share. Yeah, it's a great point. I think that, you know, we often look perhaps at the differences and we see these different things on the outside and different experiences. But when it boils down, like we often have like the same feelings or like the same motivators or traumas or whatever it may be. And I think, you know, we're all the same on the inside. And to your point, like, let me just get through the next 24 hours and see now I'm already down to like 16 hours and I can lay my head on that pillow tonight and do it all again tomorrow. Exactly. But also knowing that you did a great job and you shared your story, which changed someone else's life. And I also think it's helpful to listen to the episodes because for me personally, sometimes I can't really articulate or find the words, how I feel or how an experience like made me feel. Um, So it's always awesome to hear someone else going through something similar and they're able to actually articulate exactly what you're feeling. So it's a good point. Like are amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Like, wait, Oh wait, damn it. That's how I felt. Yeah. It's like the same thing. Yeah, exactly. It's a good point. Well, I'd love to uh, walk through your addiction and your path to recovery together. Perfect. So where do I start? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So for me personally, I actually did not start drinking alcohol until I went to college. So I was the good girl in high school, you know, track and field athlete, following all the rules. I also had a really strict mom. So there was not a lot that I could do off the leash. So I think that actually helped, you know, delay the addiction process for me, if I'm being honest, you know. Um, so got up to college on a track and field scholarship, you know, I have freedom essentially. That's what I thought, you know, started drinking and (laughs) I'm so embarrassed to share, but my first taste of alcohol was a four loco. Yes. Right into it. And then, you know, that progressed to, um, vodka with my teammates and other things and just started drinking a lot, like to the point where I'd have to get carried back to my dorm by a teammate and wake up the next morning wondering what the heck happened. How did I get back to my room? And, you know, people are telling me stories like, oh my God, you ended up in the the bathtub and, you know, just a lot of embarrassing things. You know, we've all had those nights where we have to wake up apologizing or wondering what the heck happened. The worst. So I, exactly. So I had a lot of those nights and then, you know, ended up coming back to Colorado for a period of time. And then where did you um, go to college? Uh, so for those two years, I was at a JUCO in Kansas oh. and I was there to run track. And then I ended up earning a division two scholarship after that, but I did not take that scholarship and ended up taking a little time off of school. So got it. I was here for the summer before I was due to take that scholarship at Western state, Colorado university. And 
I went to see the Batman movie, actually. Ended up in the the shooting um, at the Century 16 Theater here in Colorado. So after that happened, um, my ex-husband and I decided to, you know, take time off of school. Like I was having a really hard time sleeping. I was having a really hard time being around people or in large settings of people. I'm seeing your face and you're like, whoa, let me come back and ask a question. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, this is, this is going to be a loaded conversation. (sighs) Just the next few days, I will say days. I could not sleep. I was afraid of the dark for a very long time. Uh, so yes, I had nightlights as an adult. I am not ashamed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember going to a Broncos scrimmage. They do a free scrimmage every year for fans come by to the stadium, you know, fun stuff. I remember going to that with my family and having to leave because I could not be there. Even because of like the amount of people or the so noise. So many people or... being afraid, like the noise was so overwhelming. Like the stomping on the yeah. stadium, I think is what got me like that rattling feeling. Just, oh, it gives me goosebumps now. I'm just, me too. I, I remember those feelings. I remember exactly how everything felt even now. And I went through a period of time where I like felt bad for surviving. I'm like 12 other people and God bless their families were lost in this, were taken from us through this. Why did I survive? Why did we survive? Like, that's not fair. How dare I walk around and say, thank God I survived this when 12 other people did not. And so that was really hard. And I still struggle with that now. And when I, you know, do my social media post every year for that, you know, respecting those families and those lives, I don't really have the words to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Um, so I, I struggled with sleep for a while, which is why I decided not to take that scholarship. Um, I struggled with sleep. I struggled to, you know, go even to the grocery store. I did not see a movie for a really long time, but when I finally did go back, cause I'm like, Hey, this is a matter of me taking back my power. Yes. I did finally go back to the theater. Um, going to the movies is something that I love. So it took me a really long time to work back, you know, rebuild that courage to be able to step foot into a theater without feeling so paranoid. The time in between that, it was, it was awful. And even now I am still very like paranoid about my surroundings when I'm in large group settings or it can be anything, not even just the theater. Like I still have those trauma, that trauma that holds, I don't know if it ever goes away, especially with the, the, climate that we are in now where people are bringing guns to work people are it's almost like you have to have that heightened awareness but not let it consume you you know right exactly which it sounds like you have a good balance Uh, we decided to take some time off of school so we ended up in North Carolina that was his hometown and we were in a small town Fayetteville North Carolina and the drug scene is heavy there. Alcoholism is heavy there. And so partying and 
you know, just all those things on top of the stress of life and like going to a new state, looking for a job, being around people that are new to me, you know, directly after the trauma, right? Yeah. Yes. So directly after, of course I was drinking a lot there too. Maybe every day I was still working. So, you know, it's like, it's okay. It's just a little partying. I didn't realize that it was a problem at this point. Um, I didn't even think of it as a problem. You know, I'm like, this is what I'm doing. This is my life. I'm drinking. Yeah. Turn up. Right. 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 <laughs> um, but no. So ended up later moving to Wilmington, North Carolina. I got an incredible job um, at such a young age. I was working as a business manager at a senior living facility. So, you know, just seeing those residents and giving back to them was absolutely incredible. I worked in that field for a long time. Isn't it the best? Yes. Just feel like a warm hug every day. You do. You really, really do. And I I miss that feeling so much. Um, Then I got married. And this is when stuff got got intense. And so um, I got married and it almost seems like as soon as we got married, things just kind of went downhill from there. My ex-husband ended up losing his job. We ended up relocating back to Denver and I could not find work in my field. He and I were arguing a lot. Like it was horrible, like the worst experience I I have been through um, out of all the things. And And you've been through some stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Now he was at the theater with you, right? He was. He was. So that was something that we were able to, you know, support each other through, which was awesome. And I'm yeah. so thankful for him to this day, um, you know, because I couldn't have gone through that without him, you know. And so we were just arguing a lot and we decided to separate. So he went back to North Carolina. I was here in Denver. And during that time, I would drink so much, like one of my old best friends. Um, and I would, We would drink 40s and we would go to a bar and drink more there and go to one of our houses and drink more there. And I would drive like this. And I can't tell you the amount of times I drove from downtown Denver to the Denver Tech Center. And I'm like, only the Lord could have done that because I don't even remember making that drive. And so same, I've driven probably can't even count hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times under the influence. And I don't say that as obviously anything that I'm proud of the most ashamed of that aspect of my drinking career above anything else that I did. The lives that I yeah. could have, you know, taken or my life could have been taken. And yes. I remember one night I was driving on I-25 and I almost swerved into a cop. That may have been the Lord too, if it would have exactly. happened to stop you, you know? Yes. Yes. Then we ended up, you know, deciding, you know, this relationship is not going to work. And this is when my drinking really got bad. So Decided to move forward with the divorce. It took me months to even like print out those papers and actually go through that process. Right. It's like when you marry a person, you don't ever think like, yeah, right. You know, we're going to break up. How long was the marriage then at this point? A year, you know, like we lasted a year. Newlyweds gone wild. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it happens, right. We were young. We didn't know what we were doing. You know what I mean? So 
that that's that's all it is. It's just lack of experience, lack of counsel, lack of not knowing or or knowing and just not obeying, right? Sometimes yeah. we do know better and we just don't do better until we're forced to. After that split, you know, this person went through college with me. This person went through a traumatic shooting with me. Like this was my person. So I thought and I have lost that. Like And so I was drinking, like I said, all the time with my friend, like driving drunk. This even progressed to me, like having wine shooters under the seat of my car so that I could, you know, drink them before anything that would bring on anxiety. And it was just bad. Um, Drinking bottles of wine by myself at home, like, and drinking in isolation is the absolute worst isn't it like the saddest existence I did it for a long time my disease took me to that same spot at this point I was in so much pain and not a lot of people around me knew it at the time I'd have moments where I drink and my I'd you know lash out on someone like a friend or a family member the night before and the next day of course feel awful and have to call and you know I apologize for doing this. That was not my intention. Please forgive me. Like, woe is me. How many times have we done that, right? Finally, in 2019, I started to just pray about it. Um, Like, Lord, like, why am I doing this? You know, and I also started to get an urge, like a shoulder tap, like you need to stop drinking. You need to Mm -hmm. stop drinking. And I would hear it and I would listen and I started to get curious, sober curious, and I had a friend who was now three years sober, love her to pieces, um, and I would ask her questions all the time, and I had another guy friend at the time who was sober, and I would just pick their brains a lot. I'm like, so how did you do it? How did you get sober? What steps did you take? What did you do? Like, how does it feel not drinking, being around people that are drinking because, you know, this would be at social events where everyone's drinking, they're there and they're the only ones sober. And I, I was just curious, like, how did you do this? And so I had so much stuff going on in 2019. I had two weddings that I was a part of. So that means bachelorettes, bridal showers, all of the things that are alcohol things, if we're being honest, you know? So how about I just drink through these things and then I'll quit. Yeah. But no, that shoulder tap, it was right there the whole time. Like, girl, you need to stop. And like, you know, what's right. Like inside, you know, yes, yes. And it's, it's so interesting because that March, March of 2019, I remember praying and I'm like, Lord, I pray that you would take away my desire to drink. I pray that you would take, that I would hate the taste of alcohol. I pray that I would not desire any alcohol at all. Like I would hate the smell of it. Like any prayer that I could pray against alcohol, I was praying it. (laughs) So I went through all of 2019 drinking. I did not stop drinking until September 29th. That is when I finally woke up and said, enough is enough. I had just lost my best friend of 13 years because we had gotten drunk one night and things got out of hand and I have never talked to her again. And I think that for me, that was the biggest wake up call is to lose a person that you've had in your life for 13 years to alcohol getting out of control over and over again. 
and it's heartbreaking. And um, it's okay. That's something I never talk about. So just, you know, losing her, that happened in August. So losing that friendship and, you know, that was a package deal. Her family was my family. Mm. You know what I mean? Her mom sent me off to homecoming in high school. So that meant something to me. So losing her and losing her family. And it was just, you know, a wake up call. Like I've got to make a change. I've got to start honoring these shoulder taps. I have to get sober. I have to heal. I have to stop wearing a mask and walking around like everything's okay when reality is like nothing's okay right now for me I'm hurting I'm bleeding all over everything around me you know Mm -hmm. what I mean so I had to take a step back I had to honor those shoulder taps from God I had to listen to his voice I had to be stronger than whatever pain was weighing on me at the time and so I did just that. I woke up on 9:29 and I decided that I was never drinking again. And I cannot say that the journey has been easy. Um, I had a lot of people that were uncomfortable with it at first, a lot of friends that were not in support, a lot of friends and even family. They're like, well, if you, how long are you going to keep this up? Like, yeah. you know, if you stay sober, those right. types of comments. And then it, progress into, you know, people not inviting me places because I wasn't getting drunk and I'm not judging anybody, you know, right. I mean? drinking is your thing. We're all in different places. I found that. that like people were like walking on eggshells and like yeah. talking to me, like they felt sorry for me. Exactly. And I just would kind of like, look back at them. Like I made this decision to live a better life and I feel amazing about it. Like, don't, don't feel sorry for me. You know, I can relate to that a hundred percent. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. It's like, don't feel sorry for me. I'm not, it's not anything crazy. I'm just making a decision to better my life because alcohol was digging a grave for me. And it's, and the thing that is interesting to me is like, you can get drunk with your friends you can black out, you can do some embarrassing stuff. And the next morning, apologize. Everything's fine. Pat on the back, right? You get sober, you stop drinking and you're like an alien from Mars. Yeah. Everyone thinks like, oh my gosh, we have to keep this person over there. And I think of what I'm realizing now is I think that, you know, it's more of a, they think that we will judge them for where they are at in their journey. But the thing is, it's like, I see you yeah, because I'm, I've been there and I'm coming out of it and I'm healing from it. When we're in active addiction, or at least for myself, when I was drinking, I would look for friends that drank like I did or even like worse almost. So yeah. Yeah. To, to your point, like now looking in on that from the outside, it makes perfect sense. Like they, they probably feel that we would be judging them. Like you said, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so, so it got really lonely. Like the, the journey became isolating. And of course I went through the thoughts of, okay, like maybe I should drink again, or maybe I should just do it in moderation. And I'm like, no, but I just don't have this. I don't have a desire to drink. Um, my life has been better. I don't miss waking up groggy. I don't miss waking up 
sore. I don't miss waking up, not being able to eat, but being so hungry that I need to eat. You know, I don't miss those things. So, uh, so 2020 came around pretty early in my sobriety journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I of course live alone, so it was a lonely ass it was year. Tough. It was tough. I was it there was, with you. Yeah. It was lonely. I had nothing but time to sit with myself, sit with my BS, sit with the areas of my life that I was not being excellent in, sit with the horrible mistakes that I did make in my past, sit with the ways that I maybe made people feel, ways that I made myself feel, ways that I didn't show up for myself. So all of that just came pouring in last year. And I had to pick it apart and say, okay, why did you do that? Okay, what did you learn from that? on all of those things for months, all year long. And I, I, uh, there's a scripture that I hang on to. Um, it's Ephesians five and 14. And it says, wake up O sleeper, uh, from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And it says, um, be careful, live wise and not unwise. Um, do not be drunk on wine for it leads to, you know, evil. And it says to be filled with the Holy spirit. So all of last year I was praying, please, Lord, keep me awakened from this slumber. Wake me from this slumber. Fill me with your Holy spirit. Fill me with your Holy spirit and overflow because that will be enough, just enough to get me through today by your might, by your will, by your power, with your spirit. And I just prayed it every single day, every single day. And it worked and it worked. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful. And it's still hard. Every day, you never know what to expect. You never know what anxieties you'll, you will, you know, have to face or what you'll feel or any of that. But I think focusing on, on God and focusing on the strength and the confidence I've been able to build in less than two years, that's enough for me um, right now. So I'm so thankful for it. I think it takes such a strong person to be able to take that time to look internally like you said, and work on those things and work on those, you know, maybe defects that, that we see, um, improvement, uh, room for improvement, uh, within ourselves rather than just taking that time. You know, we saw so many of the addiction rates and the, um, sale of alcohol spike during the pandemic. And I think that there was a large population that went the other direction. So I think it just speaks to your strengths and, not just your physical strength, but to, to really, to be able to sit with yourself and, and to work on those things. So bravo on that. Early in your story, I was curious about, since you, you know, didn't start really drinking until early adulthood or, you know, really even beyond for me, there were feelings prior to drinking feelings of insecurity and not being good enough and not being a part of the group. And when I found alcohol, it was able to 
sort of quiet all of those things, but you had matured at this point, you were a young adult. Do you remember having those feelings? Oh my God. I would say that I have been insecure my entire life until 2020. Wow. When I got to sit with myself and do the work and discover what confidence was for me. As a kid, I was not like affirmed. I, my dad was not present in my life for most of, of my life. So I didn't have an example of what real confidence was. So I didn't know what it was, but I walked around acting like I did. Right. And I, I was just going to say like, that oh is God. crazy to me. If, if you follow and you should, <laughs> uh, Naya on, on Instagram, and we'll link everything in the show notes. Like it is this picture of confidence and, you. you know, it's like, sometimes you got to fake it until you make it eventually that repetition and that sort of, um, routine will become your truth. Right. Right. Like that's what happened. Right. And I think that even more so it's not like work it till you make it, you know what I I mean? It's like, be doing the work, be doing the work because that's exactly what I did. It's like, I had to discover you look like, what does confidence look like for Naya? And for me, that meant being honest with myself about the areas that I wasn't at the level that I wanted to be, or being honest about the areas that I was shrinking in. Like, you're so much better than that. Why have you been living at this low level? Rise up. And so I literally had to walk myself through these things. And I think that fitness definitely helped last year. I really like, I've always been an athlete my whole life, but last year I I really just wanted to get fitness to people. I really wanted to teach these classes and get people out of their houses and get myself out of my apartment. (laughs) And so it worked. And I think that, you know, serving others in that realm also forced me to kind of serve myself in that realm. It's like, take care of your body, take care of your mind, take care of your, your spirit. Like these things need nurturing, just like plants need water. We're, we're the same. And so once I really tapped into that, I started to feel more confident and I'm like, okay, I can do this. Okay. It's okay. I don't have to shrink. It's okay. I don't have to hide. I can say my thoughts or ideas out loud and not feel like they're, they'll be shut down or not feel like they'll be stupid because they're not. Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Again, part two of Naya's story will be this Wednesday, our next episode. So make sure you check that out. We continue with the discussion of the movie theater shooting and how physical fitness really has led her on her path of recovery and how it has solidified her alcohol-free life. So hopefully you heard something that resonates with you today. And if we help just one person, our job is done. Check back soon for new episodes with new stories to tell. But until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, friends.